It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Charles Stanley once said, We're either in the process of resisting God's truth or in the process of being shaped and molded by His truth. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, does Christianity preach the gospel? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Okay, does Christianity preach the gospel? Sounds like an odd question to ask, but stay with us. Coming up in today's podcast, look, unfortunately, we've complicated the gospel. We've added lots of things that just don't belong. In about 15 minutes, find out what we think needs to be removed and why. Believe in Jesus and go to heaven. Well, come on. We know it's not really that simple, right? In about 35 minutes, we'll talk about the profound objective behind the faithfulness needed to get to heaven. And if you were to step back and look at a panorama of the finished gospel picture, what would it look like? Well, the Bible actually tells us a lot of surprising details, and in about 45 minutes, we're going to tell you some of those details, what they are. But first, let's face it, every Christian group proclaims what they believe to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we all claim to follow his leading in his life. The problem arises when we compare our doctrine, principles, and our life objectives with one another. Simply stated, it all just doesn't line up. There are so many variations of Christianity, it's safe to say that we can find disagreement on just about any aspect of what Christianity is. So the age-old question is, who's right? How do I know that the view of Christianity I adhere to is sound? How do I know that what I stand for is truly a God-honoring belief system? The only way we can think to answer this question is to look at Christianity solely based on Scripture. So let's put aside tradition and try to eliminate our bias and see how God's Word describes the gospel of Jesus. Rick, I've heard from many Christians, I was raised in this church. My parents and my grandparents were raised in this church also, and I will die in this church. You know, how do we respond to that? Well, you know, what, what that's telling me, what, what I interpret from that is, okay, I'm not willing to listen to anything outside of the tradition I've been taught. And the question here that we're asking is, what if the tradition we've been taught is not scripturally sound? Are we cutting ourselves off from the opportunity to hear the soundness of scripture by being so firm in staying with a tradition? And, and Jonathan, look, there's so many variations of Christianity. We know, factually, it has to be that a lot of this is tradition. So what we want to do today is, from a very specific perspective, from the perspective of you and I and our studies and the things that we've been taught, look at what we think 
the gospel is. So let's get started with that. You know, one, one other quick thing, you know, in terms of trying to find the truth. When I was young and I was a teenager, my uncle Tony um, spent a lot of time with, with my brother and I and, you know, teaching us about, about uh, uh, discipline and sportsmanship and exercise and all those things. And he was not, he was not a Christian. And he, and I was a budding Christian when I'm 16, 17. I am, I'm, you know, I really was very zealous at a very young age. And he would argue with me. And I couldn't, I couldn't stand up to him because he was a lot older, a lot smarter. And I would argue, and, and he would say to me at the end of these arguments, Rick, always make sure you prove for yourself the things you argue for. And I never forgot that. And, you know, here we are years and years and years and years and years later, and my entire life has been focused on attempting to prove the things that we say. So thank you, Uncle Tony, for that. So what's the gospel? What is the good news? Here's what we believe the Bible says. The gospel message began to be revealed as soon as sin entered. And we look at that as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay. That's a tough one. That's not very understandable. No, no, it's not. But the key here is saying that, okay, God is saying to Satan that there is going to be something about the seed of the woman that's going to put an end to Satan. He says, the seed Oh, of, because a bruise to the head of a serpent is death. That's exactly correct. So it's ah, a very it. veiled prophecy saying that this is what's going to happen. Jesus would come to destroy the usurper, who was Satan, rescuing the world. And we'll see how that develops. Hebrews 2.14 gives us a, 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 some insight into that. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. You know, Rick, it's a fact. Satan will be destroyed. This is verifying that. It's also confirmed in Revelation chapter 20. Knowing that one fact, Satan will be destroyed, can reveal false doctrines in several Christian groups. That bids the question, who will run hell, the place of torment, when Satan is destroyed? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that well, does... Well, this, this proves there is no place of torment. So we ask, you know, does Christianity preach the gospel? So that's a difficult, difficult area. And, and look, we're not going to be able to get into proving a lot of these things, but what we want to do is put them on the table. And Jonathan, that's a very big point. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Okay, so we've got the idea that the gospel began when sin entered, began to be spoken of by the prophecy of Satan coming to an end. Okay, let's go a little further. The core promise, and I want to underscore the word core, the core promise of the Old Testament provided the foundation for the gospel message. This is going to be from Genesis 22, God's promise after Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Here's what God says to him, Genesis 22, 17 and 18. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Rick, I love the parallel here where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
Well, God was willing to allow his son, Jesus, to die for the human race. Beautiful picture. It is, and that's exactly what God was showing us. He was showing this to us. So this promise was repeated about, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It was repeated to Isaac. It was repeated to Jacob. It's referenced throughout the Old and New Testaments. It is. This promise, folks, please, please, please realize this. This promise is the linchpin of the truth of Scripture regarding the scope of the gospel. In your seed, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. What does that mean? Hang on to that. We're going to come back and build on it in a few minutes. Let's go further. The gospel is great news for all, and the birth of Jesus introduced this with a very broad proclamation. And Jonathan, this may be your favorite scripture, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It definitely is one of them. Okay. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news for all people. Well, who? Well, all people. Who is all people? I don't know about you, but that seems to me to be everyone. It covers it. (laughs) And again, we're going to develop that further because that's not the only time this is told to us. Blessed all the families of the earth. Good news to all people. God's love God loves and provides for everyone. How do we know? Well, let's go to 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay, you know, and we're reading from the New American Standard Bible, and they did not do a good job translating the word wishing. It says, you know, God is not wishing for any to perish. The word actually means not willing. The lexicon means to be purposed. It's not some thought of God's. It is an intention of God's that all not perish, but come to repentance. That's his intention, not a wish. Let's make that clear. Look it up yourself. Look at how else it's used, and it becomes very, very obvious. That's what the gospel is. Further, the gospel talks about Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice satisfies all sins. 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And Rick, the word propitiation means to atone or expiate. And, you know, it's talking about he, he atoned our sins, but not just us, also the people in the whole world. I mean, Christian and non-Christian alike. That's what it says. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Take the original promise and see how it's opened up through other scriptures. Another great scripture that says exactly the same thing in different words, Hebrews 2.9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Hey, Rick, looking over the notes, we have a lot of homework to do. Yeah, and, and, and you're going to see in the, in the next segment coming up in just a, a couple of minutes here that we're, we're going to put a lot of things on the table and not give you all of the background and all of the evidence here because it's just too much. But we're going to give you the resources to go check it out for yourself. So, yeah, there's going to be homework, but I think it's grid homework. I mean, I'm Absolutely. just saying. Okay? okay, next part of the gospel. I mean, we've talked about all men. We've talked about Jesus' sacrifice and God's love. Well, the earth is a big part of the good news of the gospel. How do we know? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It doesn't get more complete than that. Yeah. (laughs) Waters covering the sea? So it's a very simple statement that shows the breadth of God's plan. And when you take all these other very simple statements that we just looked at, you say, wow, wait, 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 this is big. This is bigger than most of us give it credit to be. At the end of each segment, Jonathan, we want to take a look at the gospel's goodness. So what can we sum up from this first segment? Even with just a quick glance, the true gospel of Jesus shows itself to be broader and more comprehensive than most of us have been taught. Even the earth is part of the good news. It's a big deal. When, the, when we talk about the gospel, the good news, we need to be talking about something that is a very big deal. The question is, are our churches preaching this gospel, this bigness of this good news? It's always comforting to see good news be just that, good news for everyone that is simple to understand. What are the important specifics of the gospel? What does it include and what does it exclude? Are you just getting started in your Bible studying? Or are you a weekly listener looking for more after the podcast? Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on the Bible Study tab to see our concise companion Bible study questions. It's easy to say how comprehensive we think the gospel is. It's much more difficult to look critically at the several aspects of doctrinal teaching that we believe should not be there. Why would we examine this? Well, we believe the Bible is specific about the gospel, and therefore we all should be specific about the gospel as well. Every one of us. Because the Bible is very clear. So, Jonathan, in this segment, we're going to take a look at problems. Problems with the gospel. And there's a lot of them. Okay, and folks, we're giving you our perspective on these things. You certainly have your, 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 your own opinions, and if you'd like to share your opinions with us, we're certainly willing to listen. But here's a prophetic gospel problem. There are several problems we're going to address here very quickly. Each one has a prophecy that helps to outline it. So our first prophetic gospel problem is shown to us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Okay, talking about turning aside to myths, but making it look like the gospel. And Rick, I think this is talking about our time. Yes. The latter part of of the gospel. Wanting to have their ears tickled, wanting to have something that talks about accumulating themselves, teachers, in accordance with what they want. What do people want? People want ease and all of these things. Well, look, folks, let's be blunt. The gospel is not an invitation to health, wealth, and ease. The Old Testament was very much about physically-based rewards for obeying God's commandments not the New Testament. The Old Testament, let's take a quick look at that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 3 to 6. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be with the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your breast, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall you your basket and your kneading bowl. 
Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. This is the tenor of the Old Testament. But you notice it, it's all over the Old Testament, but it's not all over the New Testament. And, and, and you know, sometimes we want to take Scripture and say, well, it's about getting stuff. No, not in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were given land. They were told to work that land. They were told so based to— on obedience, it, it, right. it was conditional, right? right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And he's saying, blessed, all these things, you'll be blessed if you follow my commands. Folks, we want to reference you to um, podcast number 960, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? We're going to fill in the details with all of this. Now, you know, you can find that podcast at ChristianQuestions.com or the Christian Questions app. Uh, you, you look for the episode number, and for this one it's 960, and then list the number and the name of the episode. And again, the name is Christianity a Greedy Religion. So the gospel is not an invitation to health, wealth, and ease. The gospel is a calling to live in accordance with the life of Jesus that we may be inheritors with him of that promise to Abraham. How do we know? 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the, the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Another point about having our ears tickled uh, and, and having teachers that use human emotion to distract from the true gospel, I'm talking about the entertainment factor. You know, for instance, candles, incense, an overabundance of musical instruments, jokes, stories, light shows, stained glass windows, statues. These things are not preaching the gospel. You know, and you think about it, you go back to the early church, and you don't get that sense. It was about the Word of God. It was about the Old Testament prophecies. It was about the life of, and death and resurrection of Jesus. And what does that mean? And how am I supposed to follow those footsteps? So you're right. It's, it's, the gospel is not this invitation to, to ease. Now, look, we're not saying it's, it's austere and, and only sober. There's joy and wonderment and, and excitement in the gospel but it's spiritually based. That's the difference. So that's the first gospel problem. The next prophetic gospel problem is revealed to us also in 2 Timothy, this time chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. And it goes on and on in those verses. Well, here, it talks about lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, and so forth. The gospel is not, I repeat, it is not a money-driven tithing machine that is focused on church buildings, lavish lifestyles for pastors, and creating a financially sound footprint to show God's favor. That's not what the gospel is. Now, in the Old Testament, wealth was something that was often looked at as, wow, God has blessed you in the land that God gave them when they were obeying his commands. Let's put that all in, in perspective. And we look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which is a very common verse that many Christians quote to justify taking Old Testament thinking and dropping it into the New Testament, Malachi 3.10. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Before this verse, God was scolding the priesthood, scolding those in charge, saying, you are not doing what you're supposed to. You are offering me poor things. You should be offering me the best of what you have. He's saying, do what you're supposed to and see if I won't fulfill the promises that I gave you back in Deuteronomy. This is about the Old Testament. It's not about the New. Okay? Again, we're going to refer you to another Christian Questions uh, podcast, Podcast 1040, do tithes and offerings belong in Christianity? It goes over this in with a fine-tooth comb in great detail. Number 1040, do tithes and offerings belong in Christianity? Again, go to ChristianQuestions.com or the Christian Questions app for the, epi- uh, for the episode number and then list the number and the name of the episode to find it, download it, take a look, see what you think. Okay? The gospel is, okay, we just said it's not this money-driven tithing machine. The gospel is a simple, congregation-driven setup that thrives on fellowship, on co-laboring, and giving as much as we individually deem appropriate when we can and in a manner that we choose. Galatians 6, 2-3. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's about bearing each other up. I mean, let's not get confused with the Old Testament earthliness of their world, because they didn't have a call to heaven. They were called to an earthly kingdom, if you will. And bearing one another's burdens spiritually, encouraging, uplifting. This world, it's hard. The Christian walk is hard. We see what's going on in the world. And we need to boister each other up. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we have to be very focused on this, on what our, our absolute clear objective is. It's not about getting somebody a bigger house. It's about getting their spirituality to be more mature. It's about helping them cope with their trials and difficulties. That's what our lives are about. And it's not about a money thing, please. Okay? Again, number 1040, take a look. Do tithes and offerings belong in Christianity? Let's go to the next prophetic gospel problem. Because, you know, we're asking the question, does Christianity preach the gospel? Folks, we're being very honest with you. I know this may sound really hard to some of you, but we want to be put it on the table and say, the gospel is sacred. What is part of it and what's not part of that sacred teaching? Another prophetic gospel problem we can find in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, test the spirits, test the influences, because that's what spirit actually means. Test the influences and the powers to see if they came from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the implication is there is power that's out there that is not godly, but might look like it if we're not careful. So here's what the gospel is not. The gospel is not a speaking in tongues, healing-driven display of power. The speaking in tongues and healing of our present day are not in accord with their New Testament applications. Are we saying there was no speaking in tongues and healing? No. 
What we're saying is the way we do it now is not the way they did it then. And we're going to refer you to podcast 1037. And these will be in the, in the uh, show notes, the, the Secret Rewind show notes. So you can certainly get that uh, at ChristianQuestions.com as well. 1037, is Christianity a healing religion? Let's look at the original gift of tongues at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 7. They were amazed and astounded, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? So the original gift of speaking in tongues, make no mistake, it's very clear, was for the purpose of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to those you couldn't talk to in their own language. That's what it was there for. It is announced to us there. Okay, let's look at some healing scriptures. Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they were carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on the cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. You know, and I want to focus on that phrase, and they were all being healed. Okay, there was no partiality. There was no weighing out if somebody's faith was good enough or not. It says, and these were not even believers, Jonathan. That's right. These are people that are hearing of Peter and hearing and, and the apostles and of this, this power saying, we've got to see this. We've got to see this. What is this? So this healing was very generous and very widespread and very public. Humanity was suffering. And, and these people heard of Jesus, and they knew people that needed help, yeah. and they couldn't help themselves, and they were going to do their best to put them in front of Peter or Jesus, whoever they could, to try to help, because their hearts were, were hurting for these, these people. And the, the point is, the way the healing was done in the New Testament, it was done very spontaneously. Today, what do we do? We have a lot of ritual and a lot of buildup and a lot of this and that and the other thing. It is, Folks, let's be honest. We want the gospel, right? We want the gospel according to the scriptures, correct? Then let's make sure that we're, 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 we're following what the scriptures are telling us. So the gospel is not a speaking in tongues, healing-driven display of power. Okay, the gospel is a message of the future healing and understanding that the world is destined for according to multiple prophecies. So we're going to go to some Old Testament prophecies that are looking into the future. Now this next scripture, Zephaniah 3.9, takes place after the time of trouble, after Armageddon. So it kind of just sets you, okay, what happens after that? Because everybody thinks about, everything's desolate and destroyed. Ah, listen to this. For then I will give to the people purified lips. Then all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. You know, I love the phrase, I will give them purified lips. I'm going to give them a purified language. You know, and you know, the, the language that can communicate with their fellow man and bring praise and honor to God. We don't need the speaking in tongues to honor God when God is going to give this purified language to whom? To everyone, the people. 
talk about healing. Let's look at Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabia. So, Rick, human perfection, pure, clean water, people and the earth will both heal. And that is what healing was done to, to show us. It was to look to the future at what was going to be going on. Now, folks, look, I realize, and this is very contrary to my character, <laughs> you know, that we're not proving any of this. We're making statements and just kind of saying, okay, you know, we'll go on to the next one. But please, to find the proof, it's not something we're just saying, okay, you know, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't be. There's reason. There's very specific scriptural intense, logical explanation that's available. And again, um, I want to refer you to podcast number two on this, on this point about tongues. Podcast number 1047, 1047, Why Did the Tongues of Fire Touch the Apostles? Uh, and then podcast 1037, Is Christianity a Healing Religion? Those two podcasts go, go into these two points in great detail. We spend the whole podcast on each of those points. ChristianQuestions.com or the Christian Questions app. You look for the episode number and then list the number and the name of the episode so you can find it, download it, and see what you think. So now, we've gone through what the gospel is not in terms of healing and tongues and what the gospel is. Let's go to our final prophetic problem for this segment, the final prophetic gospel problem, that is. 1 Timothy chapter 4 again, verses 1 and 2. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Okay, so we need to look, look out for paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, folks, we truly believe the gospel is not a call to an exclusive heaven-bound group who are saved from eternal fires of hell, where the countless billions of unbelievers are said to go. Okay, and even before we get into a scripture, let me give you the podcast to, to look at. And there are three here, because this is a big subject. Podcast number 1021, 1024, and 1027. Okay, 1021, 1024, 1027 is a three-part series is the hell of Christian tradition taught in the Bible? We go through the entire subject, Old Testament, New Testament, weeping and gnashing of teeth, parables, revelation, it's all there. Took us three podcasts to do it. That's how big a subject this is. So let's look at Luke 16, 23 and 24. And in hell, Hades, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, Rick, this is a parable in a series of many parables. This is symbolic language. It is absolutely symbolic language. And people say, oh, you know, okay, well, there you go. Twisting scripture. Well, think, let's, let's, let's pause here for a second, okay? And again, we're not here to prove it today. We gave you the reference uh, on, on when we went through, through this in, in detail. But it talks about the, the rich man is in Hades, okay? And he lifts up his eyes, and he sees Abraham 
and Lazarus held close to his chest. Really? Come on. Was Abraham even in heaven at that point? No. How do we know? Because Jesus says nobody has been raised up, up to God. Okay? So you can't even look at that as real, because that would also mean that the people in hell burning can see the people in heaven? Really? Come on. Think about it. It is a symbolic picture of Israel's lost favor. Take a look. Podcast 1021, 1024, and 1027. Here's what the gospel is. It is a call to walk in Jesus' footsteps. So the purpose of being reconcilers with him in the day of resurrection and judgment. The gospel is inclusive to the countless billions of unbelieving humanity, but not inclusive without accountability. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who have done the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And Rick, uh, the day of judgment, you know, that's a big topic in, in the scriptures. But biblically, how long is a day to God? A day with the Lord is us a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. We have to understand what the scriptures are really telling us. And there's no accident that it's hard to get. Okay, remember, Jesus taught in parables so people wouldn't understand him. Subject for a different day. But the idea is we need to dig deeply and understand that the day of judgment is not a moment or 24 hours, but you've got a thousand years as one day. That's a big deal. Let's look at Romans 5.18 about what the gospel is, this inclusiveness to the countless billions of unbelieving humanity. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Folks, if you doubt that Jesus' sacrifice actually bought the whole world, you read this scripture, and you know what? Put this on a sticky note and put it on your refrigerator so you can see it every day. Through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to who? All men. Okay, none of us is excluded from the condemnation in Adam, correct? Correct. Okay, even so through one act of righteousness, now whose act of righteousness was that? That was Jesus. There resulted justification of life to who? All men. The same group. So if you are dying in Adam, you are given opportunity for life in Christ. That's the, 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 the mathematical equation of how God's plan works. So, Jonathan, wrapping this up, what's the gospel goodness that we're learning in this segment? Once we see what the gospel includes and excludes, we can begin to see it reflect the character of God and the magnitude of Jesus' personal sacrifice. And we know God's character is loving, just, merciful, patient, and we know he does not fail, he does not lie, and he cannot die. Yeah. Now, how do, how do you describe the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice? You know, th that's hard to get your, 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 your head around. So let, let's talk about it from a heart, okay? Jesus, with God, what does he do? He empties himself of that spirituality, and he becomes a man. Right there, can you even imagine the level of sacrifice to leave the heavenlies and be literally become a man? I mean, come on. And then... And then he takes that 
that humanity lives perfectly, earns the right to live forever, and gives it up so he can buy Adam back. That's the magnitude. Jesus not only emptied himself once, but twice. None of us can even grasp how big that is. This is a lot to comprehend. Never overlook the need to personally prove everything according to Scripture. Let's make this personal. How does this gospel affect us as Christians? What are we dedicated to? We're rolling out new series content this year. Multiple episodes on one topic over consecutive weeks, such as what do we do when the Bible seems to contradict itself? Go to ChristianQuestions.com and search for Bible Contradictions to see the full series of episodes and stay tuned for more new episodes and more new series releases at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, now let's get down to grassroots practicality. We've talked about living a sacrificial life, but what are we supposed to do with that? Is it just for our personal reward in heaven? See, the great news about our part in the good news is that we get to play a significant role in how the gospel message unfolds. Most of us miss that part, and that's, that's, that's such an enormous thing. So this segment we want to focus on, what are we supposed to do with the gospel? If we are called of Christ and we're following in his footsteps because we believe we're called to, to that life of sacrifice, what are we supposed to do with this gospel? Let's start with Matthew five thirteen to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Rick, I'd like to read part of a quote from Edgar A. Guest. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. You know, and there's nothing like the practicality, and I've said this a thousand times, well, maybe not a thousand, but maybe a hundred. <laughs> you know, my <laughs> uncle Steve, who was a wonderful mentor to me, always used to say, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And it was about living, just exactly what you were just describing, living, being living proof of something, of light, of salt. Develop the character, that's what salt is, necessary to be the light of the world right here, right now. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. Let's go now, what does that bring to you? What, what do you become? Well, First Peter 2, verses 9 and 12 help us to understand that. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And Rick, who is going to observe those with good behavior? Those who don't 
have a relationship with God. And, and see, that's a, that's a simple conclusion that is obvious, but it's overlooked. And, you know, you're saying, well, well wait, what, what does this mean in the day of visitation? Later, in the day of judgment. It means that there's no burning going on. There's judgment going on. There's, there's life-changing experience going on. See, what this is telling us, between what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and what we just read in 1 Peter 2, stand for the gospel. It will be remembered. Sometimes it'll be remembered now, but it will be remembered later. And that's the important thing. Be the light that you are supposed to be. You don't have a light, folks. If you are a follower of Christ, you are to be a shining example to others. Okay, this, let's go on to the next piece. You know, what do we do with this gospel? Here's the good news of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And this scripture is going to develop a theme that we're going to use for the rest of this segment, and that is, it's a two-part thing. Our role as Christians, and then the benefit that the world gets from our role. So 1 Corinthians 2, 50, uh, I'm sorry, let me try that again, Jonathan. 2 Corinthians 5, <laughs> wow, <laughs> verses 18 and 19 begins with our role. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, that's our role. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why? What's the world's benefit? Let's read on. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, he's not counting their trespasses. How could that be? What do you mean he's not counting their trespasses against them? Do they get a free ride? Well, what's our role? And I'll come back to that free ride thing in a second. Go ahead. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what it's saying here um, is that not counting their trespasses against them, he's saying... I'm looking at them through the sacrifice of Jesus, and that's where their opportunity for life comes from. And so, Rick, our role is to bring the good tidings of great joy to all who will hear, and that's just the starting point. There's so much more. Yeah, and that's the point. This is big. This is not a little, hey, I, I, you know, I, I talked to somebody about, about the gospel today. Hey, look, that's great, and we should always be doing that, but it's so much bigger than this. It's a ministry of reconciliation. When you reconcile, what are you doing? You're balancing things that were out of balance. We have to understand that. So let's go a little further to what we're supposed to do with this gospel. And again, we ask the question, does Christianity preach the gospel? This is what the gospel is. How is my Christian church doing teaching me these things? Presenting the clarity of the gospel and its application to every human life. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Jonathan, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture because it is a logical, clear explanation of what the plan looks like. It starts with their benefit. We're dropping in on Romans 5, 15. Jesus' sacrifice touched all who were touched by Adam's sin. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died— much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. You know, now people say, aha, it says many. No, it says the many. And it also says the many died, meaning everybody. That's right. Everyone dies in Adam. So it's giving this equality, this reconciliation of what Jesus did to cancel out Adam's sin. That's their benefit. 
They've got this reconciliation process. What's our role? Well, here is a limited process to the called out ones. We go to Romans 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. See, it talks about reigning in life. That's different than the way the world is described. Reigning, what do you mean? Well, go back to that First Peter chapter 2 verse that we read. You are a royal priesthood. When someone is royal, they're in that family that, that, that oversees, that reigns. That's what this is talking about. And it's talking about that those called out ones will have that privilege and opportunity because they are the reconcilers. What's the benefit of the world? Well, in this next part of the verse, verse 18 of Romans 5, here's the universal application to all of the human race. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. And again, we touched on this verse before. And it reminds me, Rick, of the promise to Abraham. In thee and thy seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. This connects God's whole thread of promise. This is exactly what the promise to Abraham was about. In your seed, you, all the families of the earth are blessed. Paul tells us very emphatically, the seed of, is, is Jesus. He says it. He says it very, very emphatically in Galatians chapter 3. And then he says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You inherit the ability to reconcile and to bless. That's what the Abrahamic promise was about. Paul is just showing us the magnitude because we just don't get it. This is huge. This is what the gospel is. And practically speaking for a Christian, these are the things we need to be focusing our minds on about the incredible magnitude of the plan of God. Let's go to one more scripture in Romans, Jonathan. Romans 8, 18 and 19, then 21 and 22, and it's going to start out with our role. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, so there's two points there. Okay, first of all, our present trials aren't, can't even be compared to the glory later. Notice it doesn't say, well, you're going to be rich anyway here, so you don't have to worry. No. It's not about that. Our riches are in heaven, literally, okay? But then it says, the longing of the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? The sons of God are followers of Christ, the called out ones. Exactly. The world's waiting for them. The world's waiting for something they don't know what it is. Because they're hurting. Right. They want There's injustice. There's poverty. There's greed. There's there's abuse. They need they're looking for something better. They want they want something to hope in, to hold on to, but they don't know exactly what it is. Here the Apostle Paul's describing. What's their benefit? Verses twenty one and twenty two of Romans eight. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers with pains of childbirth together until now. See, this is awesome. You know, uh, it talks about the world. Folks, these are unbelievers. Look at it. It's in Romans chapter 8. The creation, the world will also be set free 
free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom and glory of the children of God. How is that possible when we say the gospel is only limited to the certain few? That's not what the gospel is saying. Jesus' sacrifice was bigger than that. He gives all men opportunity. Doesn't give them a guarantee of eternal life without having to do the work. I want to make sure that's clear because people always say, yeah, but okay, so you're saying you can do whatever you want. No! No, because you're going to have to be accountable for it. Why would you want to be accountable for more when you could be accountable for less? I mean, come on. Scripture's clear. The gospel works for us, and it works for them. So, Jonathan, let's wrap this up. Gospel goodness from this segment of practicality. What are we supposed to do with this gospel? Well, the gospel clearly reveals that a major role of those called to heaven is to be faithful for the purpose of bringing the rest of the world to Christ after their earthly resurrection. So this is important to realize there is a bigger reason than just going to heaven. Jesus gave his life for the world because he loved the world. We love Jesus, and we're supposed to love the world like he did. We can't give our lives for the world, but we can give our lives to Christ so we can help with the ministry of reconciliation, because that's what the scriptures tell us we get to be a part of. So, I mean, look at this. Think about the incredible privilege that being called to Christ carries. We help establish the, 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 the world's future. In Old Testament prophecy, God has painted a glorious picture of the gospel. What does it look like? If you love our podcast, show us some love on social media. Search for our handle at CQ Bible Podcast, or just search for Christian Questions on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. Now back to our discussion. The Old Testament overflows with prophecies concerning the future opportunities of those who die in their sins. What we do know is that if we're willing to consider these words of God concerning the future, words of Old Testament prophecy, we will see the gospel as truly good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The so, angel was right. <laughs> how about that? Who would have thought, right? <laughs> right. What are the results of the good news of the gospel? When we look at the big picture, we will only quote a few very short prophecies to begin painting the gospel picture as spoken in the Old Testament. And Jonathan, if we were to look at all of the Old Testament prophecies about the future, about the goodness of God's kingdom, we'd be talking for weeks about it. Weeks. There are so many. Yeah, yeah. We're just, we're, we're, we're cherry-picking very short one-liners almost, just to put the point on the table. We're going to start with Daniel 2.44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Well, Rick, more good news. That means that Satan's present evil world will cease. You know, look at the language of this prophecy. That kingdom will not be left for another people, that kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. Is, you, know, you think about what happened uh, in, or what the prophecy in the Garden of Eden was, you know, the crushing of the serpent's head? Yes, that really sounds just like it. You get this sense of it puts an end, a forceful end to these things, because now it's in God's hands. Very straightforward language, and it's very earthly language. According to Scripture, this kingdom of God—now look, 
the true church goes to heaven. There's no question about that. But this kingdom of God unmistakably takes place on earth. Lots of scriptures. We talked about Habakkuk 2.14. Let's just do that really quickly here. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you said you can't get more comprehensive than that, okay? That's right. The waters do cover the sea. Therefore, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord does what? It covers the earth. Do we see that now? No. No. Okay? Psalm 22, 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. So now, you think about that. Have we seen this come to pass in any way, shape, or form? Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. It talks about the ends of the earth. You know, last scripture, water's covering the sea. Now it's talking about the ends of the earth. All families of the nations worshiping before God. Not before some, some other God, but before the God. Where is this on earth? Let's look at Psalm 86, verse 9. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. So now, not only are the nations worshiping before God, just like in the Psalm 22 scripture, but now all nations will worship and glorify God's name. Understand something. When you see in Scripture somebody who is glorifying God's name, that means their heart is in the right place, their head is in the right place, and they are literally bringing glory to the name of God. And it says, who's going to do that? All nations. It it, it reminds me, they're all in. When they're glorifying, they're all in. Right. Now, how do they get there? It's not without accountability. Let's please not forget that little minor detail of having to be accountable for our sins and for our words and to get our characters for the, for the world that are going to be living on the earth to be in accordance with godliness. You know, and God is pretty smart. I think you've figured that out by now. <laughs> he can tell when somebody is giving lip service or if it's really from their heart. So when we say they're accountable before God, you can understand clearly that nobody gets away with anything because God knows the heart. Let's look at another scripture about the earth. Isaiah 11, verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So now we, t- we were talking about worshiping God and then bringing glory to God. And now this, is what, this scripture is saying the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. You get the sense that it's covering all the bases. It's not just, we're not taking one little verse and trying to build a doctrine out of it. We're taking this massive collection of verses and saying, look at the different aspects of them describing God's kingdom. They're profound in their explanation. Let's go to Zechariah 14, verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. So... <laughs> Reminds me of the first commandment, Rick. Yeah, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when you think about the Abrahamic promise, in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, the seed of Abraham has two parts, as the sands of the seashore, physical Israel, as the stars of heaven, spiritual Israel. In thy seed, 
all nations are blessed. God is now king over the earth. All of these different scriptures are pointing to the earth. Folks, we can't ignore Bible prophecy when it's so plain and straightforward as this. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Again, the transformation of the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of our God and his Christ. So it's God in control, and Christ is, is running the show, and when Christ is done, the scripture says he will turn it over to, to God so he can be all and in all. Very comprehensive. There is no question this is about the earth. So we're making a point, Jonathan. God's kingdom comes on earth. That's right. Remember the Lord's Prayer? I do. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did Jesus tell us to pray that? Well, look at all these verses. This is why, because this is what the prophecies are telling us about. One last prophecy, Jonathan, before we wrap this up. Micah chapter 4. This time we're going to read more than just one verse. Micah 4, verses 1 through 4. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Okay, mountains in Scripture are representative of governments. So the first thing Micah's prophecy is saying, that the mountain of God is going to be the chief, the, the big government, the overriding governing principle and power in all the earth. And the people will stream to it. Now listen to a more of a descriptive nature of what happens. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us of, about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples, and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Okay, so, so we pause there for a moment, and it talks about the peoples of the world saying, let's go to the God of, of, of Jacob, and let, let's go there and learn of him. Have we ever seen this before? This hasn't happened. No, it has not. Okay, so the idea is that this is what the future is going to look like. God will be recognized as the God of Israel. And, and, Israel was God's chosen people from the beginning. And just because they made mistakes doesn't mean they are no longer. This is telling us, Rick, that the capital of the earthly kingdom will be in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. So these are specifics that the prophecies tell us. And folks, this is the gospel. The question is, does Christianity preach the gospel? Is this the kind of thing that we hear are we understanding, are we able to rejoice in what the scriptures as a whole are teaching us? That's what we're talking about today. So now you've got God judging and all of these things happening. And then in, in, in the, the next part of these verses from Micah chapter 4, it starts with the word then. So once you put all this in process, what happens then? Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, 
with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Rick, I love the picture of the vine and fig tree. The vine represents shelter for all. The fig tree represents food given to all. This is definitely the earthly kingdom picture. It is, the vine and the fig tree. I'm going to get back to that in a second. I just want to go back to the idea that they never again will train for war. All of the implements of war are turned into implements of, of, of growth, of earth development. I mean, this is a prophecy that's very specific. And you know, and you look at the, the, the physicality of the vine and the fig tree and say, that is comforting. But think of this, folks, let's take it just a step further. You know, in John chapter 15, when Jesus, the night before he's going to be crucified, he says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. So he's using the vine as a picture of Jesus and the whole true church. So think about sitting under his vine, sitting under the true church, because remember, they are the reconcilers? That's right. And sitting under the fig tree. What does the fig tree in Scripture represent? Israel. So you, they sit under the rule, under the compassion, under the justice, under the wisdom, under the love of the true church and of Israel because God is with them. So not only do they have that physical world in order, they have now got their spirituality set. And it talks about under their vine and under his fig tree. There's a connectedness. It's all together. This is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of God's kingdom. Jonathan, let, let's, let's wrap this up. Gospel goodness. Adam sinned and all humankind was then born in sin. Jesus died as a man and bought Adam back. With him, he also bought the rest of humanity. God, through Jesus, provides the entire human race a legitimate opportunity for life and obedience after their resurrection. The earth is their home and where God rules. This is the gospel. This is God's original plan. Rick, it's perfect. O only God. Like we said before, God is pretty smart. <laughs> he, from the very beginning, had this plan because the earthly creation was precious to him. It was special to him. And he didn't make a mistake. He allowed sin to get in the way so that the lessons of sin could be learned once forever. That's the beauty of God's plan. And folks, the question we have to ask you as we wrap this up is does Christianity preach this gospel? Because it is God's original plan. God has always had it all in place, and the scriptures are replete with evidence and examples of how this plan works. What do we do when we see these things? If they're not in conjunction with what we're being taught, maybe, maybe we need to make some decisions. Because do we want the gospel of tradition or the gospel of the Holy word of God. You decide about that. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Uh, send us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, 
we'll be talking about this is very ob- very opposite kind of uh, of a uh, subject <laughs> next week why did god allow slavery in the bible now why would we talk about that after doing such a a, a, a beautiful picture of the gospel because there's a reason for god allowing things to happen and we want to make sure it's clear so we'll talk to you more about that next week